Hi, and welcome back to Sizzling Hot with Sarah Michelle. My name is Sarah Michelle, and here today we are still out of our element. We're in my game room today. Uh, my parents told me that the estimated time to finish the kitchen is January 2022. Uh, so right now we're just we're going to be without a kitchen for some time. Um, I'm kidding. We're going to be done hopefully by the end of June. Uh, they're like putting backsplashes on. My mom can't make up her mind on the rocks. Women. Um, but here today, I actually decided to make this show very special because we are actually entering a holiday weekend. And so I'm so grateful that Abel and Gabriel were able to join me again. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Glad to be here again. So really excited. I'm excited to have y'all. So we all work full time jobs. Today is Thursday, May 27th. And I told them, guys, like, I'm not cooking anything special. Like this is not the week for me to cook um, something. So I had my mom make my dish for today. Uh, do you guys want to share first? Or do you guys want me to go first? Uh, we could share. <laughs> We're ashamed to say it. That's that's why we're we're struggling here. No, um, we we decided to procure our, <laughs> our, our quesadillas today. But uh, no, we got it from a wonderful restaurant we both lo love. It's called uh, Jose Tejas, which um, they do like. <laughs> Bro, you got it wrong, man. <laughs> it's not Jose Tejas. It's Taqueria. You're right. You're it's right. Taqueria. <laughs> It's yeah, Taqueria is actually a great franchise here in New Jersey. They specialize in uh, Tex-Mex, uh, you know, street food basically. So uh, if you're ever in Jersey, if you're ever in the uh, tri-state area, come and check them out. Okay, I live in Texas, so we have the best tacos. I don't know, like I'm sure you do. I don't know what else. Yeah, to tell it you doesn't guys. compare. We it have the best. I actually talked to my mom and my mom because she loves me. She actually made my quesadilla. So this is my quesadilla. It doesn't have wow. any fixings on it because I I just, I can't be eating sour cream. I can't be eating crazy stuff. I have a wedding to go to this weekend and we got to behave. So guys, this is just, this is just a different kind of show this week. Uh, it's all good. What? It's all good. We'll eat all the unhealthy stuff for you. Yeah, you guys you guys show out for everybody else. I'm going to be over here with my chicken and spinach quesadilla. That's not even Tex-Mex. Maybe for the next show, I'll fry some chicken or something just to balance everything out. All right. Okay, guys. <laughs> so let's see it. There are our quesadillas. These things are fast. That so looks like a chimichanga. I, this is pollo tinga with um, guacamole inside. So it's pretty solid. That looks good. It looks like the chimichanga I made on my first episode. It's not fried. And yeah, it almost looks like a burrito. But yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Let's, <laughs> let's just begin. Let's begin. By, by the way, shout out to Jose Tejas. I just threw that out. <laughs> <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Okay. It's sorry. all good. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, by the way, we're not sponsored by anybody, so if you're listening to this, uh, please make sure to like this video, subscribe to my channel. I am currently also on a podcasting platform, only one. I'm on Spotify. I'm trying to get on Apple, but they're very specific about their content, and I'm trying to do other things. And again, I have 
a million things. This is a, a two-person team. It's me and my producer, and my producer was out the last time around, so it's been just me. Uh, so make sure to support the channel, comment, share, like, subscribe, follow these guys on their social media, follow me on social media, have fun with me, send me memes, um, watch me complain about people in the industry, and just have fun. So with that being said, let's begin, guys. Uh, okay, so today we are actually airing almost an entire week from, you know, knowing who's actually going to make it to the second round of the NBA playoffs. So let's just take a step back before we start eating and start talking. Um, we actually had the play-in format again this year, just like we did last year, which I personally really like. I think it makes it more interesting, especially for teams that are just on the cusp of making it uh, into the playoffs. It gives people a chance. Like this year, we saw how Golden State got knocked out um, just at the last second. It was just like they didn't make it because they lost to Memphis. And I, I think it's fun and exciting. It makes basketball more fun. Um, but it has also received a lot of scrutiny. Um, a lot of players and uh, coaches just don't like it. So I just want you guys to share your thoughts on that if you can. Sure. I, yeah. I, I, whoever, I, whoever wants to go first. Yeah. <laughs> the Spider-Man. Go ahead, man. Uh, no, um, I definitely. I mean, I, I, and I understandably so. I think um, to really understand the, 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 the playing tournament kind of, you got to add the context. Um, you know, th there's no secret, the NBA ratings, there's been a lot of articles about NBA ratings not being as good this season and even, some of them last season due to other things that are happening around our, our surroundings. Right. And, um, you know, this is something they did. It seems to kind of improve uh, interest in the sport. Um, and it definitely does. It's intriguing, right. Watching teams like LA and, and Golden State, and then that matchup between Golden State and, and Memphis, definitely very intriguing basketball, very interesting. But when you look at, and this is probably why the criticism comes when you look at the, journey of a season, right? Teams have uh, trends, especially in basketball where you have 82 games. There's there's stretches where they're really high, stretches where they're low. It can be back and forth teams that start really good and then go downhill or teams that start really bad and, and make that climb, right? When you do a play-in tournament, then um, it, it impacts how, uh, you know, how the, the teams that were, um, you know, uh, uh, struggling to get in say like the Lakers who they knew they had secured a, a playoff spot right a team like the Lakers if, if we're thinking this solely on the financial benefits that the NBA reaps for interest and people getting engaged you kind of run the risk right of, of gambling if a team like the Lakers falls into the plane which happened because of a low in their season and the injuries that they face what if the Lakers lose that game and they fall out of the playoff picture, would that not be a bigger loss in the long run, yeah. right? Yeah. Things like that, right? That's, that's kind of how I'm seeing it because it came off as a more business-minded thought process rather than a, you know, I don't know. That's, that's how I view that's it. What it. That's what it seems like, you know, the, the NBA executives are thinking of, how to make the, more, uh, the sport more fun, palatable, palatable for the audience. Uh, of course, this season was just spectacular with the play-in tournament, having LeBron versus Steph Curry uh, in the first round of the play-in uh, on the, the West Coast. So 
that alone, that garnered so much attention. You know, it was just the number one game uh, that night. Uh, it was like watching a finals game, right? Really, everyone wanted to watch Steph and LeBron. And it's go, one game. Anything can happen. Game. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the the gamble is, how do you know every season it's going to be that attractive? Yeah. You know, you might not get Steph and LeBron every season because historically in the past couple of years, They've these have been made teams it. that are high up in the bracket. You know, they're, they're low at the standings because of injuries mm -hmm. that plague them throughout the season. So I'm not sure how it is. If, if it's too early to tell, I think it is. And I think perhaps there might be some challenges to face with making the play-in tournament something that's permanent in the NBA. Uh, it was an idea that came out of the pandemic because they were trying to be creative yeah. with making sure that it was fair. Yeah. You know, that the playoffs were going to be something that was, uh, I guess, equal to the rest of the league. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do next season. I propose to the NBA if they're watching. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I, I wish that, the NBA was watching. That the playing tournament was only actionable if teams that were seeded between seeds eight, seven, eight, nine, and 10 were like two games apart only. Kind of like, kind of like how it was brought up last season because of the short season and you know how there's a lot of teams that were kind of fighting for those last spots. If teams end the season in a close, uh, I guess in, in a close record as such, then playing tournaments is exciting. It makes sense. There's teams fighting or battling. Really, no one has really officially earned that spot because of the highs and the lows. You can say you can make an argument for that. But a team that has secured an eight seed with like over three or four or five games, why should they have to fall into the plan? That's always been my argument. So long-term, I guess we'll see what that means. So you're decides. saying that like, based on like how, how teams end up like right before the, the playoffs, then they Correct. decide, okay, that's pretty good. I mean, I know Luka Doncic, he is like fervently opposed to the play-in. He says that you play all season uh, to secure your spot in the playoffs. So why do you have to like fight for it once again, if you're that low? Um, but I definitely, I definitely see both sides of the argument. I definitely enjoy the play and I think it makes it more fun. Cause it's like, okay, like we have one last chance to like knock out this team. It's like a wild card game. I know mm -hmm. the giants have made it to the, the giants have made it to the super bowl from winning wild card games. And like, that's that's huge. So I think it just makes it more interesting and definitely more fun to watch. Uh, as a fan, I definitely enjoy more games. I love more games and yeah, fight for <laughs> fight for the death. Um, not like that though. Um, <laughs> this is a positive show. Okay, so let's uh, transition. Are you guys surprised of any teams that did make it into the playoffs and any teams that didn't make it into the playoffs? Am I surprised of any team that made it to the playoffs and any team that didn't make it to the playoffs? Um, well, I'm surprised the Golden State Warriors didn't officially make it into the playoffs. After, after you know, the way that they were playing to end the season and after that game against the Lakers, which was really a great game, great basketball game to watch. I mean, I thought... It was won by sure, three points. I mean, I thought for sure they would beat Memphis, you know, and... and um, I think we were all surprised that they, they're not in the eighth seed spot. Um, 
nevertheless, I think one team that has surprised me the most this season uh, to, to be in the playoffs and as, as seated as they are is the New York Knicks. I mean, it's no question. Um, what they've done is incredible. And, uh, you know, for us in the tri-state area, this is huge. You know, this is a big deal around our, our community. Uh, for me, I think the team that I'm surprised is in the playoffs, um, it would have to be the, uh, the New York Knicks. I mean, you can't, you can't write a better story uh, than the New York Knicks. Everyone, literally every expert, every NBA analyst counted them out, said that they were going to be, you know, finishing in the 9th, 10th, 11th seed uh, in the Eastern standings. Uh, but they finished the season in the fourth seed in the East, number four. Uh, That's a comfortable to, spot. They didn't have to do plays. Super comfortable spot. They didn't have to have the anxiety of, oh, man, we can lose this opportunity in the play-in tournament. No, they were uh, excellent throughout the entire season. And we're going to talk more about the, the Knicks later. But the team that I am surprised that's not in the playoffs is the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, what a disaster of a season with so many young stars so much potential and so much talent uh, they started off the season pretty well um, you know Zion was playing he was balling uh, but they cannot sustain that momentum throughout the entirety of the season the west of course is a super difficult mm -hmm. uh, conference to get in you have teams competing and they're pretty, you know, neck and neck throughout the entire season. But I, I really thought that they'd get in. They'd sneak in maybe as an eighth or a seventh seed, uh, but they didn't. I don't even think they finished anywhere close. Do you think it was a coaching a coaching issue or? I'm not sure. And and Lonzo had a good season. I thought Lonzo I, played one of his better seasons. I mean, they got Brandon Ingram. They have a they have a squad. They have a squad. Lonzo has been you know talked about for an option uh, for the New York Knicks. And, as an option to, you know, to bring him in in the offseason as point guard. So he's been balling out. Um, Ingram, as you mentioned, as well as Zion, it's a young team. They have a lot of talent. I'm not sure if it's a coaching thing or, you know, the guys just uh, don't fit. I don't know. Don't fit together. Maybe it was injuries. Not sure. But I was surprised to not see them in the playoffs this year. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, now we're going to actually talk about the playoffs and like what's actually happening right, right now. Um, and I'm going to let you guys eat a little bit. I've already been stuffing my face. I came home hungry today. Um, so these are takes that viewers sent to me. And if you are a regular viewer of Sizzling Hot with Sarah Michelle, I encourage you to DM me, tweet me, like just send me anything because these are things that like I will bring up to my guests um I definitely tailor my shows around what's actually popping right now I sound like I'm 42 I I, <laughs> I hate that I use that word but there we go um, uh so like I I definitely tailor my shows based on like what's going on right now like what's hot in sports because this is a sizzling hot show and I'm SM so uh, these are some views that I got this past week and I want to bring them up to Gabriel and to Abel so that we can see what their takes are. Um, so I'm going to start with my favorite one uh, because this is something that I have belabored the entire season. Um, so here we go. 
uh, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Chris Paul are capable of fe- defeating the Lakers? Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. <laughs> okay. Really? No way. Yeah. Bro. All right. Go ahead. Explain. Go ahead. <laughs> are they capable? Yes. They are capable. They have the talent. The team, Monty Williams, what a great coach. Um, the moment of truth. They could, you know, I don't think that they could do this over, a, a, you know, a seven game series. Um, I think they are, they know that they were underdogs coming into the series, even as a two seed, because everyone expected, expects the Lakers to win, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I like where, where Phoenix is at. I just don't think they are going to win, especially now with the, uh, with the Chris Ball injury. I thought, I thought the key component to that team being as successful as they were was Chris Paul. I can agree with that element there. I think that certainly changes the dynamic. Uh, his health, of course, you know, Chris Paul is a phenomenal point guard. He is the commander in chief on that team. He runs the, the plays. He's calling out guys where to move. He's the leader go. of that team. He's the leader. He is a veteran presence that they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely elevated the game. If he's healthy, if he comes back uh, 100% in this series, I think it'll go to game seven, and I will give the edge to Phoenix just because uh, LeBron isn't at 100%. No, LeBron, LeBron, is cruising, LeBron, LeBron is not at 100%. And he's not. my second point is I'm not sure if – Anthony Davis is going to be able to step up every night to offset LeBron's, uh, you know, absence uh, from, you know, the, the statistics. Yeah. And number, number three, my thing is Devin Booker. When that kid gets going, there is no answer on the Lakers to him. None whatsoever. He is an absolute machine scoring the ball. I think if he gets on fire, so, That's it. so let's talk this, right? We want let's talk just X's and O's, pretty basically, right? Lakers are the number one defense in the NBA. Number mm-hmm. one. No, that's the Knicks. That's been the Knicks the, this entire season. The the number one defensive efficiency rating in the NBA, I believe, is the LA Lakers, if I'm not mistaken. Even after the injuries, if we can review the, we can go back and look at it. But it, it doesn't matter. They're one of the top three best defensive teams in the league, right? Phoenix is good. Their uh, defensive rating is like they're one of the top teams with like top 10 defensive rating and offensive rating. Biggest play that they have or the the play that they really use to to hurt other teams is the pick and roll. Right. Lakers continue. And I don't know why. Right. I'm I'm a huge Lakers fan, as you can say, I, I could get passionate about this. Lakers continue to play two bigs. That's the way that they run their offense, right? Anthony Davis at the four and Marcus Sol or Andre Drummond at the five. That is unsustainable against the pick and roll because that forces two guys that can't keep up with these guards. That's why Cameron Payne had the game that he had. That's why Chris Paul was cutting the way he was and, and they were scoring at will. When you open the, the floor by driving to the lane in that way and having a center already be behind you, one of these guards, right. that opens the shooters, right? That it spreads, it opens the entire game. The moment that they put Anthony Davis at the five in the fourth quarter, what happened? It was complete shutdown of that offense. And it happened in the last five minutes. 
when Anthony Davis plays at the five, he can keep up on that pick and roll action because he's an elite defender. That changes the whole spectrum of the game. I also want to touch on your point on LeBron James. I don't think LeBron James is fully healthy yet, but LeBron James is not also going 100% because of that. I think he's just cruising because it's, he's making the right shots. He's making the right reach. He looks like a game man. The guy's like, I've never seen LeBron James as composed. That's a lie. I, I've never seen him as efficient and as calm, I guess, as he looks right now in, in, in this playoff series so far, even though the Lakers haven't really played that good, right? The shooting has been awful. The, you know, the offense hasn't been that good. Anthony Davis has had a first bad game, but I mean, listen, I, I, I think they, they don't stand a chance because Lakers aren't even playing at their best and they won game two. I'm sorry. I triggered him. Apologies. <laughs> he's a Laker fan and he's talking like a Laker fan. I, I think this series goes to game seven. If, if Chris Paul is healthy, I do think that Phoenix has the edge, but we'll, we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. One of the takes that I got was Trey Young is on fire and will be the reason the Knicks lose. Yeah, that's the take I, that you got. I, <clears throat> that's I, the take I got. Okay. It's not mine. I, I'm a Nick fan, but I am going to take off my Nick, uh, you know, uh, glasses and just going to set them aside for a second. Atlanta's offense is based completely on Trey Young. That's he's their number one guy. That is the the offensive force. The guy drives to the basket. If he can't get the shot, he's going to kick it out to somebody with a pass and look for an open shooter. All right. So what happened in this last game, game two, we'll talk about game one first game one. He's put up, you know, incredible numbers against the number one defense in the league, the New York Knicks and the New York Knicks, also their best two offensive players in Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett had horrible shooting nights. Like they were absolutely terrible the entire game. Julius Randle did not play well. Yet the game was won by what, two points? Mm-hmm. This is the Nick defense. Trey Young had a great game. Don't want to take away anything from him. He played phenomenal, you know, in a place that was bumping and trash talking him. Game two, what happens? He scores, what, 28 points, 30 points. But in the key moments where they needed him to step up, he got locked down. The New York Knicks defense was too much for him. And this is, again, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett didn't have good games in game two. Julius Randle woke up a little bit in the second half particularly in the third quarter, but the New York Knicks, the entire team first half, they, they played poorly shooting, um, yet they were able to erase a 15-point deficit in the second half because of their defense and also because of their bench. Mm-hmm. They have a veteran presence. Derrick Rose stepped up, played a phenomenal game. Put up a um, lot of points in his, what, oh. 39 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Obi Toppin stepped up as well in the first huge. in the first half, and then he came in in the second half and gave a spark to uh, you know the subs that were on the court as D Rose and Julius Randle were on the bench resting. So the Atlanta Hawks are barely scratching uh, their wins against New York Knicks. Like they could, they weren't able to stop the Knicks in Game Two. 
and their best guy had over 30 points in both games. Their problem is that Trey Young is their only offensive weapon. If they don't have these other guys like Bogdanovich, he shot poorly for game one and he shot poorly game two. Clint Capella, same thing. He's more of a defensive presence than yeah. an offensive presence. Yeah. Still, they don't they don't have the offensive pieces right. to mount a uh, a good series against this defense. Let's just put it that way. If Julius Randle and RJ Barrett get it going in the rest of the series, Trey Young can score 50 points a game. They are not beating the New York Knicks. There is just no way. That's a really hot take. That's really hot. Okay. I agree with everything he said. Um, <laughs> if, they, if the Knicks lose, it will be because of Trey Young, because he is the best player on the court on both teams. He is the best player on the court. The Atlanta Hawks cannot match up against the New York Knicks. That is the problem. They're, the Knicks are bigger. They're tougher. They got that New York grit, right? They, over yeah. a seven-game series, these guys are beating you up, right? And the, the numbers are going to start going – they're going to get worse. And to the point that you made, they're not playing good basketball, which goes in line, in line with what I said about the Lakers previously as well. They're not playing good basketball, and they were still within three points, I believe it was, the th- three, or, or just a few points on the first game, game one and game two as well. When this team starts turning it up, Julius Randle needs to be better, I think, especially if that's your leader. You need your Absolutely. leader to step up in order for you to take a series. But their defense is what gives them a chance to win any game, and that will continue to be there. If their defense is there, the offense is going to come. They're just trying, They're getting into rhythm. They're going to go into a crazy atmosphere, I think, in, in Atlanta. But I think the Knicks should win this series. I yeah. truly believe that. I, look, they, they made defensive – adjustments in game two Trey Young really isn't good going to his left the Knicks saw that in game one uh and then in game two they fixed it and forced him to his left really didn't give him the right side easily of course yeah he he still scored a lot of points in the second half when the Knicks uh mounted the, the the comeback and they started getting ahead by I don't know seven ten points Trey Young came on the court and brought the game back to two, not necessarily because he was uh, shooting the ball well, but because he was moving it around and he was getting to the right side. But what happens? D Rose came back in the game. Just Julius Randle came back in the game and they shut him down again defensively. So it's going to be very tough. I don't know if Trey young is the, you know, the one to bring down the Knicks, it's going to take a lot more than just one guy. And we saw that with Golden State, which, you know, a lot of people obviously emulate. uh, They say that uh, Young emulates Curry's game. Well, look, Curry played phenomenal in these two play-in games against the Lakers and Memphis. And And so, uh, yet, they're not in the playoffs. Very good point. Very good point. Exactly. Okay, boys. All right. Uh, Let's go to the last one. I was going to talk about the Nets, but I'm so tired of talking about the Nets. If I have to talk about the Nets, (laughs) I'm just going to lose my mind. So we're going to actually talk about Kawhi Leonard. Um, And so one of my followers said that Kawhi Leonard will leave the Clippers if they lose this round. Hmm. 
And then, and then to add on to that, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, on my sports Twitter. If you don't follow me on Twitter, that is the place to follow me at. Um, it's sizzling hot WSM. Um, somebody said that the Spurs should look at acquiring Kawhi again and bring him back um, to form the team, like be the team that they were before. So that's it. That's a very interesting take. I mean, yeah. that. They left some bad water there. There was some uh, bad blood. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't. Uh, but I, I, I guess, I guess that will Kawhi leave if, if the Clippers don't go on a championship run? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think think he leaves because, the reasons stated by sources, were that he came to that team because it was home, because it was his hometown, and he didn't want to be part of. Um, a second or third tier player to a LeBron James and, and even an Anthony Davis at the time, he wanted to be the guy and he is the guy. And as the yeah. guy, you have to step up. And I think the Clippers organization believes in him. I don't think I'm having a hard time seeing him leaving after this season. I don't think it happens right away. Now signing a long-term contract is a completely different thing. I don't know if that happens either, but again, LA is home. He's won rings. I mean, I think he wants to build there with the Clippers. Yeah, I, I don't foresee him leaving. Um, Paul George, on the other hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't Play see him. Yes, I, I, I see Kawhi staying in L.A. I don't. Uh, he doesn't peg me as the guy that is just going to, you know, quit. Uh, quit. Right. He's a guy that wants a challenge. Uh, I mean, he wanted a challenge, and that's why he went to, you know, Toronto and, Took them to the finals and won against Golden State. Of course, obviously, you know, Golden State had a bunch of injuries uh, in that uh, postseason. But I think Kawhi is going to stay in L.A., um, try as best as he can. If they don't make a championship run this uh, postseason, try as best as he can to recruit players that are going to come and help and do the job. So uh, I don't agree with that, that – that, uh, take that he's gonna just leave or even yeah. go back to, to San Antonio because I believe that there were some bridges that were burned yeah during his exit so I, I just can't see them coming and reconciling oh, man. and for the record he's had a great series so far. I mean he's been playing then they cannot come. I mean he's played he's, great listen if we're gonna be serious and honest the conversation should not be centering Kawhi because he's doing everything that he can as team leader the Common denominator for teams that don't like do well in the playoffs is Paul George. Like he is the, in my opinion, the guy that it just seems like doesn't click in the playoffs. And it happened maybe last that, year. that that maybe that's something to you know to consider going forward. Is this guy going to be uh, a key player in this team? Well, I'll say this in the, in his defense, right? That has been the historical trend. I mean, he's played great too. I mean, he hasn't had really that bad of a game. The first two games, he's played, he scored over thirty points uh, last uh, on the on the game two, right? So, I mean, he's playing good. But what about everybody else, right? Are we building the right way? Are we, you know, it takes more to a team than just superstars. You need to have the right pieces, the right guys with the right mindset that fit and know their roles, and everybody's willing to sacrifice in order to go on the championship run. How does that – You need those guys to play consistent basketball. <laughs> That's the problem with Paul George. 
Um, we haven't seen him do that. Hey, look, maybe they advance this round and Paul George all of a sudden becomes that superstar that we saw him in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, he becomes that guy that is just going to step up to the, you know, uh, to the challenge, to the moment. Uh, he's going to be the guy that takes down LeBron as he, you know, he tried when he was in uh, Indiana. But let's hope he doesn't do that. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eventually, like it might come to it. Mm-hmm. Like, and that'll have to happen for him to solidify himself as, you know, a leader and as a guy that is going to win uh, basketball games for the LA Clippers. Okay. Thank you guys. Um, so we're going to take a little break. I'm going to let you guys eat for a second and we will be right back. Okay, guys. So we're back now. Uh, how was you guys' quesadilla? It's pretty good. It was bomb. Mine was bomb too. I have to thank my mom later, give her a big hug for doing this for me because <sighs> she saved my life. Okay. So we are midway through the first half of the season in Major League Baseball. You guys both came on my show and make very to make very audacious claims. Uh, so were any of you guys' predictions correct? Um, yes, actually. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Uh, yes. Um, so I predicted, I mean, if you want to check, you can run and look at the tapes. Um, but I predicted that one of the teams that was going to come out ahead and, you know, stay ahead for a while uh, was the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, if you look at the American League East, which for me, in my opinion, it is right now the most competitive division in all of baseball. Like, there's no other division that is going to be as competitive that might be a dangerous thing because these guys are going to be beating each other up throughout the regular season. Yeah. But Boston has surprised so many people. Um, I think they're they're excellent. The other team, of course, that I mentioned was the Chicago White Sox. Uh, White Sox have you know been playing really well. Um, they have a great, an absolutely great pitching staff. Um, their pitching is. Phenomenal. And the Houston Astros, they are up there. So yeah, uh, I, I did mention all three of those teams in the, the past episode. And yes, everyone. League, please yeah. go watch it. Go watch the other episode where he was at so you yeah. guys can be right. I, don't, I haven't checked anything. I don't remember. That was a long time ago. It's, it's okay. I think the only team that has surprised me the most um, has been the San Francisco Giants. Uh, who would have thought that there would be a third team contending uh, for the National League West, yeah. uh, especially the Giants, you know, who historical rivalry uh, with the Dodgers. So I definitely was wrong about the Giants. Didn't think they'd be anywhere in no the conversation. Yeah. Yet they're here. They're sitting atop pretty on the National League West division. While the Padres and the Dodgers are killing themselves, yeah. Um, you Way to steal my talking points. I was actually going to bring up the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox, I think most of their team, most of their position players have on-base plus slugging over, like, 600, which is pretty – that's pretty awesome. That's a really great metric to measure, like, performance. I think, the like, maybe two position players and then, like, the pitchers have on-base percentages plus slugging under 300, like – 
and duh, like you're a pitcher, you don't have to get on base. Um, so to me, I think I didn't expect to see the Red Sox coming, um, but I definitely think it's the Alex Cora effect. And I think um, this makes me really sad to say, but they are very, 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 uh, it's a very, they're a very potential threat to the Yankees. Um, not only are not only are the Jays um, and the Tampa Bay Rays, but I think the Boston Red Sox are really going to give us a run for our money if we don't shape up. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, the Bronx, get it together, guys. I, I, dis- <clears throat> I disagree. I think Boston will continue having a pretty good season, but down the road, it's going to come to pitching. And Boston... Is a lot it, of their pitchers are out right now. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> right yeah. now the two teams in the American League East that do have Pitching enough stuff. power in their rotation and in their bullpen are the New York Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays. So those are going to be for me the two teams that are going to really come you know head to head in the American League East. I'm not sure it's going to be Boston. It's it's a good story for you know baseball. A comeback story, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that Luis Severino is poised to come back hopefully in the next two months. So I think that will definitely amp up the Yankees pitching rotation, like our, our starting lineup. Um, but I, I'm going to let Abel, I'm going to let Abel <laughs> speak more on my boys. Go ahead, Abel. So, so I predicted that the Yankees pitching rotation will finally be a championship level or quality rotation this season with the addition of Kluber and Tayon, even though, uh, uh, Tyon hasn't had, had the season that I think we expected him to have. Yeah, he's he's been somewhat inconsistent, um, but we know that again, it's a long season. There's stretches where pitchers are going to be at their best, stretches where they might be up and out. But I think when you account for the fact that you know we're having a guy that's playing at the Cy Young level in Garrett Cole, you have Domingo Herman who came back and has been better than expected. Then you add a guy like Cooper who's playing phenomenal, pitched a no-hitter the other day. I mean, this guy just got hurt, sadly, and uh, knock on wood, right? But um, uh, he should be back in, in, in I think it's a, supposed to be six to eight weeks. I think about a month and a half he'll be out. Um, but we know he's still, got, he's still got the stuff, right, the stuff that, that we want to see. Um, and you have your starters go on a five-game five streak where they didn't allow runs. I mean, that tells you the type of – quality that you have in the pitching rotation. That's something I predicted that I thought the Yankees would improve on this season. I'm very excited to see they're better than I expected them to be. <laughs> Here's my, my, I guess my anxiety with the Yankees pitching rotation is the injuries. And that's something that's going to come down uh, and possibly haunt them. In Not just the, the pitching. I think the Yankees listen, history with the injuries. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, I think it's, all New York baseball teams because yeah. the Mets are just plagued with injuries as well. They should just fire all that like, <laughs> athletic, you know, athletic trainers for both teams and, you know, just be done with it. But I think with the Yankees specifically, if I'm correct, Sevy is coming back from Tommy John surgery. Right. Yeah. And Tommy John surgery, although it is a pretty normal procedure now with pitchers, mm-hmm. it is a super difficult surgery it to is. come back from. And my fear is that he's not going to be ex- like in, in the same form as everyone is expecting him to be. Yes, good pitcher, really solid stuff. But is he going to be the same old Severino as he was before? I hope Zach so. Wheeler, Zach Wheeler 
who's currently obviously pitching for Philadelphia, he had Tommy John surgery early on in his career with the Mets. And it took him maybe three to four seasons later to be back in the same form as he was before. So, yeah, Sevy, the sound of him coming back, it, it, you know, it gives most Yankee fans a lot of, uh, I guess, Happiness. Uh, hope and, you yeah. know, contentment because hey, here come the reinforcements. But in reality, is he going to be the same Sevy as before? Yeah. Uh, Tommy John surgery is such a, like, shot in the dark uh, surgery. Noah Syndergaard. Right. Tommy John surgery just this week, you know, uh, yesterday or two days ago uh, in a rehab game, his out. his comeback is sidelined six to eight weeks just because he was, uh, you know, uh, experiencing elbow soreness. So we'll see. I mean, look, reservations exist. I, I, I won't. But I still feel in the, I still feel really good about what the Yankees have in terms of numbers and guys. I mean, Jordan Montgomery, I think he's been d- up and down, mm-hmm. he's had really good outings where, you know, just last week he struck out 11 batters and then he has, he's had outings where he struggled. I think the Yankees, come playoff time, will have three key guys for sure, I think, based on what we've seen so far. And then, you know, if there are no other injuries, right, then you have a guy like Sevy who's been in these moments, yeah. who've had the experience, and hopefully he is back to at least, you know, a decent portion of what we know he can be. And and you got other guys there as well that can give you quality innings in, in games where you're going to need him, right? Yeah. We know that there's like there's the pitchers don't go more than four or five yeah. innings in the playoff game. So um, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen, especially in that division. One other thing that I did predict as well was the San Diego Padres being, being as dominant as they have been uh, so far. And the Dodgers and the, the, the San Diego Padres having, <laughs> having the battle that they're having. I mean, I think yeah. it's been phenomenal. Tatis, shout out. That guy is... Marco Rizzano. Fernando Tatis Jr., if you would like to come on the show, I would love to have you. I am from the same city that you're from. I just thought I would put that out there. Um, my family probably knows your family, and my mom probably saw you growing up. So just just letting you know. You guys are probably related. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would not doubt it. I would not doubt it. San Pedro de Macorís, we export, like, all the best shortstops mm-hmm. in the league. So, I mean, Tatis Jr., hey, if you want to come on the show. They would love to have you on the show. I would also love to have you, but just, yeah. just let me know. So I, would I mean, put that in there. I, I listen, Fernando, if you're listening, do it. Do it. Hablaré en español. I'll show you how to cook some good food, too. Yeah, haremos mangu con queso frito y salami. Lo Whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever you want. Okay, let's talk about pitching really Thank quick. Um because I think this is an explosive year for pitchers. Uh, I want to like just point out, I feel like it's getting harder and harder for hitters to um, hit these pitches. Um, just recently, this is like the season of the no-hitter. Uh, we've had what, like mm-hmm. five no-hitters so far? Like yeah, that's, like, that's an like insane. Seven, like seven. Seven, seven if you count, if you count bumpers. To the eighth, to uh, the eighth mm-hmm. inning? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's still a lot. Like, that's still a lot to have. Like, I think we've gone through droughts before where we had no hitters at all. Um, so first I want to uh, touch on um, what do we have to consider as these pitchers are getting harder and harder to hit? And how do you think um, hitters can improve um, and match up to these to these pitchers at, the, at this point in their careers? 
So that's a good question and a hard question to answer. I mean, it's it's hard to really define what what is happening in baseball other than um, you know it's it's the way the game has evolved over time. And I think part of it is excellent pitching and guys coming off a shorter season with good rhythm and good um, you know perfection to their craft and com- their competitive nature and then you know a change in the way that we traditionally uh, I guess played the game from a batting perspective perspective I think I think when you look at teams like the Yankees right which is a good example when we look at analytics and how their their batting has changed substantially over the last few years there's been a bigger focus even there's if there's an increase in strikeouts in their swing to kind of be more hit or miss to home runs, right? There's less of a an approach to kind of make contact, move batters, and you won't see a Yankees player doing a uh, a bunt. It's very rare that you'll see a Yankees player doing doing a bunt. It's it's been a lot of like strikeouts. Yeah. Right, right. It's go big or go home because analytics paint or tell you that you have a, actually a larger probability of you know, scoring runs and to, you know, et cetera. And we can get into the the business side of how baseball loves home runs and et cetera. But the, the, the question is, have pitchers now adjusted to this kind of batting? And, you know, is, is this now starting to show the, the transition that was made by these batters and how they're struggling to really be uh, a, a patient batter and find the right pitches and, um, you know, be a contact hitter in order to get swings, even when you're not able to hit the ball out of the park. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that question, I, but it's definitely starting to show trends that have changed in baseball and it's really putting them on the spotlight with what we're seeing in the pitching performances over the past, you know, few weeks for sure. Yeah. So I, I agree that <clears throat> pitching has evolved. It's gotten uh, a lot of pitchers are bringing in more heat. Yeah. 10, 15 years ago, it was, you know, very rare for a pitcher to hit 100 mile per hour, you know, fastball. Like, that was almost unheard of. And if you were pitching 100 miles per hour, you were definitely a closer. Likely. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's who you were. And if you were also hitting that fast, like that, that mark, you didn't have control. You weren't able to place the ball wherever you want. Now you have, you know, at least six or seven guys who are just amazing at picking their spots and putting it, you know, 100, 101, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, um, Scherzer. You have Glass now, now, Bieber, like all these pitchers who are elite, amazing at their craft, and it's fooling batters. So, number one, I think batters have to make the adjustment Mm -hmm. as pitchers have evolved. Number two, Although pitching has been dominating, you know, the league for the past couple of seasons, I'd say that we've also seen an increase. And it's funny how this is almost not talked about. We've seen an increase in home runs. Yeah. Like we just had a couple of seasons ago, 2018, back-to-back seasons where two guys who are rookies come in and break the rookie record for home runs in a season, Aaron Judge and Pete Alonzo. So although there's a lot of strikeouts and a lot of, you know, no hitters. There's also a lot of home runs. And part of it is that the mechanics in batting has changed. Most guys now are being taught to do an uppercut swing because 
the home run ball is what brings and keeps fans in the stadium. So uh, definitely agree with the analytics perspective. Uh, it's kind of, you know, uh, limiting the game in a sense because they're putting so much focus on trying to get home runs that it is essentially killing all the other aspects of, you know, the game. You had Buck Showalter uh, just a day or two after Kluber threw his no-hitter basically come out and say, this is ruining baseball. And it's not necessarily because of the pitchers. It's more so because of the batters. Yeah. They're trying to hit home runs. So they're being told that as well. These guys, yeah. they can they can hit. <laughs> they can hit the fastball. Look. These are know, the best hitters that MLB has ever had. They can, <laughs> hit, they can hit 100, 101 yeah. mile power fastball. They can absolutely do it. Their problem is that they're trying to hit it out. They're not just trying to get contact. One of the teams that doesn't have the same amount of home runs, like this ridiculous amount of home runs this season, the Boston Red Sox. Exactly. Yet they are the number one team in hitting the fastball mm -hmm. in all of the league. Exactly. And they're in first place. Like So the team with the most home runs this season, the Atlanta Braves. And they're currently in what? Third? Third, third place. Third place. Last time So – it's not necessarily the pitchers who are at fault here. It's hitters have to change their approach. Mm -hmm. They just okay. have to. Okay. So you actually touched on uh, – were you going to say something, Abel? I was going to add on to the Boston Red Sox. I was going to kind of talk about that, how the fundamental baseball that they play translates a little more to the kind of baseball that we've seen throughout – history and throughout you know our childhoods growing up that's what translates to the success you're having in the way that they play the game i mean everybody gets on base they know they're excellent base runners excellent defense regardless of who's pitching i mean they're playing and it's you know as, as a yankees fan it's hard to admit but they're playing beautiful baseball playing small ball yeah y'all are like touching on my talking points i don't <laughs> like that i don't like that oh my gosh okay so um Really quickly, has the no-hitter lost its magic? I wouldn't say it has lost it. I think it's an amazing feat, and I think that, um, you know, I think if you are able to accomplish that, it shows how – I just think we have a lot of good pitchers right now. Yeah, yeah. We, that's also something we have – it's – what a gift mm -hmm. every week to see a glass now pick a man, right, last night. Uh, Rodon in uh, in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, Garrett Cole and Jacob Degrom in New York. Like, it's amazing. These pitchers are fantastic. Um, They're artists at work. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's actually interesting because I was mentioning this week that Jacob Degrom has never thrown a hitter. I don't even think he's gotten close to doing so. It's just crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of the pitchers that are getting no hitters are guys that aren't you know, on the Cy Young talk mm -hmm. or yeah. in, in, in the race to the Wade Miley, um, Carlos Rodon, like these are players that nobody really, yeah. they're not Cy Young, they're not, people are not talking about like, oh, this is the next Cy Young, they're not talking yeah. about them like that, but they're throwing their hitters. They're facing professional baseball players, like yeah. batters who can hit for average or who can hit home runs, so I don't think it's losses magic whatsoever. Um, it is an amazing feat yeah. at any given point in time during the game that no hitter can, you know, break. Um, so that's why it's so beautiful to see. 
and it takes a team effort. I mean, the yeah. defense yeah. has to, you guys yeah. know that they have to back you up. You don't want to be that guy to, to drop. <laughs> no, <you laughs> no, drop errors. no errors. No errors. <laughs> You will yeah. never live that down. Yeah. Never. 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 I really appreciated last week the, the support that the Yankees gave to Corey Kluber. Because it was, it was just, it was like clockwork. Just, it was, that was the first no-hitter I actually watched, like, as it was happening. I missed all mm -hmm. the other ones. But that one, it was just like. Yeah. And clockwork. what an amazing, what an amazing story for Kluber. Comeback yes. show. It's, he's had two Cy Young uh, award seasons, mm -hmm. you know, amazing. And then he's been Injury plagued with injuries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for him to come back and do it in New York with the Yankees, that is this, you know. It's it's big. Yeah. Uh, it's bigger big. than baseball. Bigger yeah. than baseball. Um, okay, guys. So I have two more questions. We have to wrap up the show soon. So you guys have to speed it up. Um, okay, I want to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. right now. Not only is he having, like, one of the best seasons, like, ever. Like, it's so phenomenal to, like, watch him play. Um, but he has also been branded as the face of the new age of baseball. Um, so why do you guys think there's such a clash between, like, the old school guys and, like, those of us that are like, yeah, like, whatever. Like, why not? Like, why shouldn't baseball look like this now? Because if I'm being completely honest, I have my foot in both camps. Um, right. There are certain instances where I'm like, oh, like that's, you shouldn't have done that. But um, in instances like Tony La Russa, like I don't agree with what he did last week with Jermaine Mercedes. I don't agree right. at all. Like that was, but um, like, what do you guys think? Like, why is there such a clash between, between the old and the new? <clears throat> I think here in the United States, it's just a phenomenon, whether you're talking about sports or politics, that people will cling to nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And that's what's occurring in baseball. And that's what's been occurring for a long time. And every time a player who comes in, who's got pizzazz, who's a little, you know, comes in with the swagger, who makes the game a, a little bit more like their own personality, yeah. someone comes along and says, you can't do that. Here, you know, in America, we, we do things differently. This is, you know, America's pastime, right? That's what baseball is often referred to as. So it's that. I have absolutely no problem with players, you know, trash talking or being celebrating, uh, celebrating, flipping the bat, do it, you know, You're talk your right. talk, do it, go ahead. Um, I do have a problem with coaches managers throwing their baseball players their own guys under the bus because they're trying to stick to some old rule that does more damage mm -hmm. than a guy flipping a bat or hitting a home run you know in the wrong time of of the game uh so personally i am all for tatis being the face and ushering ushering in this new generation and this new style of of play and, and, and there's always a phrase that we hear all the time, playing the game the right way. Playing the game the right way is about doing your job and what's expected of your job to the best of your ability and representing your team in, in, in the right way, in a good way, which is being an honest person and on and off the field, you know, being someone to be an example, to lead by example. Guys like Tatis have been doing that, right? There's nothing to say they're not being an example. He's playing clean. He's playing clean. He's not using any, you know, performance enhancing drugs. And and there's no outside drama that's being brought into nope. the game itself. 
why can he not be the face of baseball? And the guy's great at it. I mean, come on. I mean, he's exciting. Kids will look up to him. Kids want to be him. I mean, it, it just seems right yeah. to me. I, it's funny because Bryce Harper, right, is this guy who is uh, kind of for the – when he came in, he was like the peg, the new face of baseball, right. you know. Um, and it was often the same exact thing. This guy, he's loud and he wants to be loud and he wants to talk, you know, trash in the game. But they kind of got him early and said, no, you can't do that. Um, it's it's going to be interesting these next couple of seasons as more uh, of this young generation comes into the game. But I definitely think that the shift is happening whether people like it or not. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see it. All right, gentlemen, uh, before we sign off, uh, I want to ask you guys one last question. Um, when I sent you guys the draft for the show, I actually said it was going to be a surprise. It's not a bad surprise. It's okay. Um, so because I think this is the year of the no-hitter, um, who do you guys think is going to throw the next no-hitter? Good question. Um, a guy that I can see getting a no-hitter, I mean, it's – it's gonna sound a little biased, but I I'm think gonna Marcus, walk away. I'm gonna walk away. I think, be exactly I think Marcus Stroman will be a guy that can do it, and here's why: he's a pitcher that induces ground balls. He gets batters to hit ground balls and hit into you know double plays mm-hmm. a lot, and he's gonna go into the sixth, the seventh inning with very few pitches on his count for that night. And I think you need an arm like his to go into, you know, nine innings. Uh, so I think a guy like him, maybe not Marcus, maybe somebody else who has that style. Someone like well. him. Yeah, someone like him. I was going to say Marcus Stroman as well. Um, <laughs> for the sake of saying someone else, I mean. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with. Se- Severino. <laughs> If Sevi comes back and hits, like, I'm sorry. If Sevi comes back and throws a no-hitter, like, I'm going to be unbearable all over social media, all over the internet. I'm going to be unbearable. I'm going to get a shirt that says Severino threw a a no-hitter after Tommy John. Unbearable. I will mute mute all of of the Yankee fans that I know because that would be, you know, horrendous. Unbearable. Yankees Twitter will literally explode if Severino has yeah, I mean, a no-hitter. Yeah. Baseball Twitter in general, but Yankees. Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with Severino. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. man. Luis, if you're listening to this, which I totally doubt it. You have work to do. <laughs> you got work to do. And when you yeah. come back, you got to be yeah, hitting the ground running. Um, all right, uh, Gabriel and Abel, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you so much for the awesome conversation, the laughs. Um, and to you guys, my viewers, thank you so much for watching Sizzling Hot with Sarah Michelle. My name is Sarah Michelle, and I will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>